Today's episode of Sliced is brought to you by Startup Networks. Are you tired of filling out contact forms just to get ghosted by investors? Well, Startup Networks is a platform for you. Networks is an all-in-one platform devoted to helping you get funding. With the network's innovative AI technology, founders are matched with interested investors, and investors are matched with interesting founders, all from the comfort of one easy-to-use platform. Try Networks today for free at StartupNetworks.com. That's S-T-A-R-T-U-P-N-E-T-W-O-R-X.com. Hi, and welcome to the Sliced Podcast, where we share startup stories from founders, investors, and CEOs from across the globe. A little bit about our platform, Startup Blog Post, is that we're a community where aspiring entrepreneurs and venture capital ecosystem stakeholders can share meaningful insights, engage with colleagues and peers, and stay informed. Hi, and welcome back to the Sliced Podcast. I'm Emily Aarons, your host, and today's guest is Aaron Stachel, partner at First Mile VC. Hi, Aaron. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to learn a little bit more about you and a little bit more about First Mile. So to get us started, let's start relatively close to the beginning. So you came to Colorado via the Army, is that correct? That is correct. Nice. I did my, uh, my undergrad at West Point and spent 10 years as an Army helicopter pilot, got stationed in Colorado Springs and decided we wanted to plant some roots in Colorado. That's awesome. Well, thank you for your service, number one. Um, that is quite the job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was really fun while it lasted. I, uh, I did a couple tours in Iraq and it was very exciting and interesting, but it kind of hit the point where uh, I was ready to look for something else. A little bit more stable. Do you feel having, having come from that path that your threshold for like excitement is higher than most people's? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> like that's definitely... not excite you. <laughs> it's, uh, I definitely was looking for something interesting and exciting that kind of kept me, you know, mentally stimulated. And uh, you know, venture has been great for that. You know, you're learning, mm-hmm. you know, meeting new people, working on kind of the cutting edge of their field all right. the time, which uh, is is a very exciting place to be. Yeah. So. After you settled in Colorado, kind of walk me through how you initially got started in the venture space. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, you've not been a founder before, have you? No, that's right. I um, So I was an economics major uh, in college. I had always been interested in investing since like high school. Uh, a physics professor sort of turned me on to the idea of compounding returns and getting started okay. early. And I... Uh, When I left the army, I got my MBA and I spent a lot of my kind of free time and summers working with startup companies and really kind of kind of envisioned myself, you know, starting my second career at like a really interesting, fast growing company. And, um, you know, I met a VC on a panel at school and he had a very similar background to me, went to West Point, flew helicopters, got an MBA, went to 
into venture and uh, like the light bulb went off. It's like, that's exactly what I want to do. Combined my sort of newfound love for startups with my kind of long-term interest in investing. And, you know, he basically threw cold water on that idea and said, you know, you you didn't kind of go work for Google and get an MBA at Stanford. You're just not going to be well positioned. You know, there's not very many opportunities in the field. And this is like 2010. So the economy was still pretty shaky and the startup boom hadn't really taken off. And so that was pretty good advice at the time. So I went and took a job at a big old giant mining company doing you know, M&A and investor relations kind of work and really um, did not last very long there before I started poking around and looking for opportunities at this kind of small, fast growing company. And uh, somebody that I worked for in business school was running a new startup and he was like, hey, I don't have anything for you, but I was just talking to one of my investors and you know, they're a successful entrepreneur that's been investing their own money and really wants to kind of grow that into a firm and is looking for somebody to, to help them. And I told him you'd be perfect. And so he connected me to my partner, Bill, and, um, and that was about eight years ago now. Okay, that's awesome. So tell me a little bit about First Mile. Really, what would you say your investment thesis is? So we really started um, kind of filling a gap in the Colorado ecosystem. So again, this is, I think I started at 2013 with Bill and, um, you know, we were kind of making angel investments and at at the time seed was really just kind of establishing itself as as a dedicated stage in the funding process. And it hadn't really caught on in Colorado yet. It was mostly really small rounds getting done with you know, our first fund was only six million, and you know we were writing relatively small checks. There was a couple other small funds like us, but you know activity was really picking up here. And if you were trying to raise a million bucks, um, it was really hard to couple that together. You know, you needed yeah. kind of all the small funds to say yes. You needed a bunch of angels to say yes, and probably an out-of-state investor or two to get that done. And so. It felt like a real opportunity as Colorado really started picking up its startup activity. Um, you know, filling that gap was sort of the initial thesis. Like, hey, there's a huge opportunity here, and nobody's really doing this. Mm-hmm. As far as the industries that you take a look at, what would you say is your niche there? Are there some that you're particularly focused on? You know, we would describe ourselves more as generalists. Um, we're really focused on stage. So it's got to be pre-seed or seed. So pre-series A investing in general is where we focus. Um, We're fairly broad within that, but we're much more comfortable with B2B companies. So, you know, a lot of times if you're investing in a consumer facing company, it's about, you know, catching the next trend and building the right brand. And we don't have particularly great insights into that, but we can kind of understand if another business is feeling a particular pain point and willing to spend time and money to solve that, you know, those are much more comfortable decisions for us to get, you know, uh, get to a yes on. So we've done a lot of B2B software, pretty broad within that. So that includes everything from, you know, traditional sort of B2B SaaS, um, blockchain related companies, um, health tech. Um, You know, we do have, you know, some, uh, a robotics company. We have an engineered foods company, but just about everything we've done is kind of selling to another business, you know, yeah. absent, you know, a, a handful of, of smaller bets. 
Nice. What would you say you place more importance on when evaluating a potential portco? The business plan or the founders themselves? Yeah, at the stage that we invest, there's not, um, you know, there's not really kind of any kind of metrics to look at. We're typically investing pre-revenue or very early revenue. And so, um, you know, a lot of it is the, the kind of scale of the opportunity. So I wouldn't say the business plan per se, but like, you know, we have to make a bet, you know, if this thing works out, you know, could it return the entire fund? Could it produce a really big multiple of our invested capital? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're evaluating the team kind of through that lens, like, do they have a unique insight into why this opportunity exists and how to solve for it? And are they well positioned to execute here? And so, you know, at the stage we invest, it's it's kind of like the team and the size of the opportunity are sort of like the two big, big things we're looking at. Um, but given like the lack of traction these companies have, like that we're really betting on, on a team that on can team. kind of create this, you know, they have to paint a compelling vision, but we have to believe, you know, they're the ones that can go get it done. Right. Speaking of the ones, are there any port codes you'd like to tell us about? Yeah. So a lot of what we've done in our new fund is pretty young. Um, you know, a couple of things that are doing really well in the last fund that we're really excited about. Um, you know, one of them is in the blockchain space. It's called Hedera. And they okay. kind of developed a an alternative to the blockchain. And so this was you know, probably about five years ago, we made this investment. We were, it was our first blockchain investment. It's a top 30 project now. Um, but it was one where, you know, a lot of the initial blockchain platforms were really slow, um, huge energy consumption just to kind of mint a new block, um, you know, very low throughput. So a lot of the cool things that people envisioned, uh, you know, people using blockchain to do all these cool use cases just were not possible with any of the existing technologies. And so Adara was kind of built from the ground up to kind of capture the best of the original blockchain platforms and kind of overcome the, um, the shortcomings there. So no trade-offs in security, but much faster, low, you know, energy consumption. And, you know, they got a lot of interest from big enterprises that wanted a stable, you know, platform. So their nodes are run by companies like IBM, Nomura Bank, Japan, you know, the biggest bank in Africa, uh, Google. Um, so, you know, that one was really exciting. You know, we, we invested when it was basically two guys in a patent, you know, we scratched together a pretty small pre-seed round. So, you know, very early and, and very proud of what that team has done. That's really neat. On the topic of, you know, portfolio companies, is there a certain number of companies that you try and hover around for the fund? And and if so, if there is a number, why that number? Yeah, so we'll do about 30 to 35 companies per fund. And we get to that number, you know, one, we invest really early. So these are very high risk, high reward. Mm-hmm types of opportunities. So you need some level of diversification. And given how risky these companies are, you know, it, you could argue 30 is not quite enough. But, you know, you also have to balance that with, you know, if you do get into a really big win, um, do you have enough in it that it kind of moves the needle on your fund economics? And so, right. 
you know, 30 to 35 for us feels like the right balance there where, you know, we've got quite a bit of diversification. And if we have a big win, it really moves the needle for us. It's not too diluted. And it's also, you know, the other thing there is, you know, we're a team of two and we've been averaging almost a deal a month in our new fund. And so there is sort of like some capacity constraints to how much, you know, we as a partnership can, can take on. Right. So that kind of all kind of comes together to produce that that number. Mm-hmm. And then how does First Smile help? How do you guys help those companies beyond just the capital? Yeah, this is a, a really good question. And this is like, you know, the bar for what's expected here has really been moving up. You know, it was kind of pioneered by really big funds like Andreessen Horowitz that, hire, you know, use their fees to basically hire a bunch of talent partners you know, legal partners, pre-IPO, you know, they've got like a whole stable of people that can help their companies with different aspects. And I talked to a a fund yesterday that, you know, has a partner focused on pricing strategies for their portfolio. So really large funds have really gone deep here. And I think that's trickled down to the seed stage, which, you know, as I just mentioned, you know, we're a small team doing lots of deals. And so our ability to kind of really get involved is somewhat limited and we don't quite have the fees to to bring on that kind of team. So, you know, we've chosen to really focus as our as our name first mile implies like that kind of seed to series A journey. And so where we spend most of our time, invest most of our dollars is just helping our companies get to series A. And once they do, we'll we'll basically step back and let the next the next investors carry it mm-hmm. forward from there. So we're really focused on you know, helping them understand what is the milestones to get there, um, course correcting when we're off track, you know, making introductions, uh, you know, helping them make those first, you know, couple of hires they need to get there. And then, you know, it's a lot about kind of building the materials and making introductions. And, you know, so in that kind of first 12 to 24 months, our goal is to get them to, you know, the next round of funding. And so okay. really kind of organized around that. Kind of just giving them the tools they would need to get there essentially. Yeah. And kind of, you know, we, we have a perspective across, you know, a large portfolio of companies. And so, you know, every business is different, but there are some kind of themes and we have a good sense for, you know, what the next investors are looking at. And so right. a lot of it just providing perspective. And, and sometimes it's just like, you know, you need to prove this, this, and this stop spending time and money on that because it's right. not going to, you know, it's something important, but that's going to come after the next round. And so kind of helping focus them in on what the critical path is to get there. Mm-hmm. You mentioned how important the founding team is. What specific culture would you say you look for when investing early, like like First Mile does? Yeah, it's very much a, um, you know, we really like to see like a learning culture. And, you know, it's it's like a combination of like a willingness to to learn and to be resilient when things don't work because you know you you read a lot of stories about things are just going straight up into the right but certainly our experiences it's a much bumpier ride for most companies and so you know your initial sort of vision on how things are going to play out is probably wrong in certain ways and so you need a team that can really kind of work hard to execute but also just 
have a mindset. It's like, I know this isn't working. You know, we know the big vision is still directionally correct, but we're going to have to course correct around some obstacles that we didn't really understand or foresee when we were getting started. So it's, and that could be like, really like tough because you're like, your runway's running low, you're having to pivot and change and the team can get kind of down. And so it's a combination of willing to to learn and listen to the market and also kind of persevere through like those disappointments and kind of achieve that big goal that you set out. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned disappointments and the bumps in the road that are inevitable, but is there a piece of advice that you would give founders that are starting to see a few of those bumps in the road and how to ultimately overcome those obstacles? Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of it is at the stage we invest, especially it's testing, you know, you, you've got ideas and you've got to kind of get out there in the market and hopefully in an inexpensive way, figure out if you're right or not. You've got some hypothesis, you have to go test it. And the faster and cheaper you can kind of test your hypothesis, the quicker you can get you know, confirmation that you're on the right track or you need to change. And so that's, you know, it's one thing, you know, we look for people who have unique insights and expertise in their kind of air, you know, their, their market segments. Um, But, you know, their startup by definition is going to be something new. And so they're going to have to figure out some stuff that nobody else knows. And the only way to figure it out is to go try it um, and know for sure. Yeah. You mentioned your partner, Bill. Is that correct? Can you talk to me about the importance of that relationship between partners and how and what other investors could do to strengthen that? Because that ultimately is what leads to success, right? You have to work as a unit. And any advice yeah, it, you know, people talk about venture as an apprenticeship kind of business, and I was really fortunate. And then I got that experience with Bill. You know, he's been in technology for a few decades now. He's started a company that he took public, and so he's just a lot of wealth of experience. And you know, when we started, you know, he I was not too far out of the army, and I was really you know excited about venture though, and he took a chance on me and. And for the first couple of years, we worked on everything together. And I really just got to learn from his experience. Um, and so I think that helped build a lot of trust to where, you know, as, as the firm grew and our investing grew, you know, I was able to go out on my own and start kind of building my own network and sourcing my own deals and really kind of bringing value to the firm on my own. But I think kind of all that time we spent together at the beginning really built the foundation that allows us to to really work well together now. Mm -hmm. Nice. If a company or an entrepreneur is listening to this episode and they think that first smile may be a good fit for them, how, what could somebody do to impress you in a pitch deck? Yeah, I think the, the thing that, um, we work on our, with our founders a lot on this when they're going out for the next round, but like the, the key narrative really needs to jump off the page. Um, I think there's a, a very common instinct with founders that are just, you know, they're experts in what they're doing. They spend every waking minute thinking about it and they kind of forget that 
other people have no clue, you know, or just a very, you know, superficial kind of understanding of what they're doing. And so they kind of take for granted the big picture and want to dive into the details. And, you know, we have to pull a lot of people back and say, you know, explain this like you're talking to your, you know, your friend's mom and they don't know anything about what you do. How would you describe what you do and why it's a big opportunity and why you quit your big company job to go do this? Um, That kind of has to jump off the page. And it, you know, the one way to think about kind of building a narrative there is, you know, can I, can I go through your pitch deck or have a 30 minute intro call? And then the next day have a call with my partner and basically without using any notes, give a high level pitch to them and explain why we should work on it. And like people remember sort of narrative arcs and stories, like a, a list of details and facts is just hard to remember but can i you know can i personally create a clear and compelling pitch on why our firm should spend time and focus on this deal should be kind of the output of that kind of first meeting you know first review of the pitch deck Mm -hmm. Um, so you have to have all the right pieces there but you got to stitch it together in a way that kind of flows into like a good story right based on your experience and you I guess, essentially kind of had a little bit of an unconventional start, would you say, in the venture space, you know? Do you feel like it's more important to learn by doing in venture or learning in a traditional classroom setting? Yeah, I think it's it's a tough one because I think, uh, you know, Fred Wilson from Union Square Ventures is a pretty prolific writer. And at one point he wrote that the... You know, it takes about a decade to understand if you're any good adventure. And so um, I think you do have to learn by doing, but it takes you know, the feedback cycles are really long. So you're not really going to know kind of how your strategy or your skills and investor are playing out until you've been through a couple funds, which could be, you know, six or seven years by the time those investments, those first investments are really hitting their stride. Right. If you weren't doing this now, what do you think you would be doing? Yeah, that's a good one. I, um, you know, I was kind of prior to this, I was working in kind of corporate strategic finance. And so, you know, I, I mentioned that I initially was really interested in venture capital, but that was a kind of tough, tough path to find. And so the next most interesting thing for me was go work in the M&A department of a big company that is, you know, making strategic investments and, um, you know, potentially buying companies, you know, trying to move their company in a new direction by, um, you know, investing and, and acquiring kind of mm-hmm. smaller, you know, companies that complement their, their kind of strategic portfolio somehow. Right. So you probably would have just stayed on the path you were on then, essentially. Yeah, yeah, similar kind of work, but in a in a much different setting. Right. If you could go back and change one thing about your investment journey arc, however you would say that, up into this point, what would it be? Yeah, I think something that I, I struggled with at the beginning, you know, given my background, it was not as a founder, you know, very technical. It, you know, most of my skills were kind of high level finance, you know, strategy, deals, uh, leadership, you know, and 
I felt like every pitch I took at the beginning, you know, it's like, well, if I just understood the technology better, I could like know if this was a great opportunity or not. And I just really need to learn everything about technology. And I think after kind of doing it for a while, it it became clear that, you know, no investor is ever going to kind of be able to be deep across, you know, as a generalist investor, especially, you're never going to know everything about all the technology. And so, you know, focusing in on the people and, you know, if, if it's a really big opportunity with the right team, they're really good at articulating why this is a great opportunity to somebody who doesn't understand the technology at a mm-hmm. deep level. And that, you know, that works well uh, for us. You know, there's certain spaces where you need, you know, some level of competency in the technical aspects. And unfortunately, I have a partner that can go very deep. Uh, who's been around, uh, you know, IT infrastructure and those things for many years. And so we, we complement each other nicely in that way. Yeah. Well, you know, I asked you a piece of advice for founders, so I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a piece of advice for somebody who's just getting started in their, in their venture journey. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's like I said before, it's it's like a really long cycle. And, um, you know, there's different ways to get into this business. And I think the non-traditional path is kind of like the standard path now. Like pretty much everybody I talk to has some kind of unique story of how they ended up in venture. And so it's really, um, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. You know, you're kind of, kind of riding on the highs and lows of your portfolio. And so I, I think it's important just to like, really be excited about investing and building a portfolio and working with founders and, you know, realizing that, you know, it's going to take a really long time to achieve some success. And so having a strategy and working with the kind of people that you really want to be working with is, is probably the most important thing to start with. And it, you know, and then hopefully the the investments play out too. Yeah. So this is a little bit of a, Tough question, but when will you know that you have lived a successful life or had a successful career? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's there's a concept uh, that Annie Duke talks about called resulting. And I, I think this is a tough one for venture where, you know, if a company, an investment works out really well or doesn't work out, you know, you feel like, your decision and process is, you know, you're judging it by the outcome where, you know, something I've had to come to peace with, you know, like most of the investments you make are not going to work out in the way you thought they would on the day that you made the investment. And so Mm -hmm. kind of be able to evaluate your process and your decision-making and, you know, are, are you kind of making good investments because this is very much a, a power law kind of tails driven business where like a few of your companies will produce most of your returns. And so, you know, it doesn't mean the other kind of 30 deals we did are bad investment. Right. Um, and so just kind of understanding kind of how the, the math adds up and being able to kind of be at peace with, with how that works and support, you know, every company to get to their best place, wherever that yeah. might be. Well, to close us out, could you describe your investment journey using just one word? Yeah, I'd say exciting. It's just been, I've really enjoyed it and uh, really excited about the, the, the people that we work with and what we're doing and um, look forward.
forward to doing it hopefully for many more years. Yeah. Well, thank you, Aaron. Is there anything else you'd like to add either about yourself, First Mile, anything at all? Yeah, I would just say, um, you know, the Colorado ecosystem is really kind of hit a tipping point where there's, you know, there's just a ton going on here. Uh, we're really kind of proud to have kind of started and growing our firm here. And so just always happy to connect with with companies that uh, they don't have to be in Colorado, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people can always feel free to reach out. If you hit our website and hit the contact form, everything comes straight to me. And we're always looking to meet, you know, great new founders. Awesome. Well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much for your time and for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. It was great meeting you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Sliced Podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Sliced, please email newsroom at startupblogpost.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.